Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. Today, a fascinating conversation about transactivism, sport, leadership, and fairness. I'm honored to welcome Dr. Linda Blade, a professional coach and advocate for women in sport. Coach Blade, it is great to have you with us today. Thank you very much, Leon. I'm very happy to be here. Now, you wrote this book, Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport. So, wow, that, okay, there it is. I mean, hold that up for you, too. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, the vote that was in Halifax recently and you've been involved a lot in athletics, but man, things are just changing fast. It's incredible. Uh, I am president of track and field in Alberta. And so as part of that role, I have to go to national meetings. Uh, and, and so our, the first time I ran into the transgen- transgender issue in sport was in 2018. I was put on a sort of a gender committee to kind of look at policy that was, you know, trying to be uh, promoted by a certain group in sports in Canada. And so that's when I first, like with my PhD in biology, I'm like, no, that's not going to work. Cause they were saying, you know, strictly just anybody can just ID into any category they want. And so these four, four years later, so that was 2018. Now in May of 2022, four years later, Leon, we finally have an in room debate at the top level in Canada, Athletics Canada, AGM in Halifax, where we can all sit in the same room as provinces with the national governing body and, you know, a trans advocate uh, and looking at the policy, scrutinizing it. And, you know, it was an intense two hour debate. And after the two hours, after I had almost single handedly argued on behalf of sex-based rights for women and girls, um, they finally realized we weren't in any position to vote on what was being presented. So we really didn't have the vote. I was, thankfully, uh, my colleagues and I were able to have a chat and reasonable minds prevailed. And so the vote is forestalled for about six months so that we can look at this a bit further. So there hasn't been a vote yet. Yeah, exactly. So the trans movement is changing sport. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Yeah. It it is changing sport and not for the better. And there's a lot of reasons and I go into it in the book, but one of the things that people don't understand is, okay, beyond the fact that it's completely unfair to have an adult male body self-identify into the women's division, having, you know, 10 to 50% advantage. So male athletes, um, you know, they go through puberty. Everybody understands this, that all of a sudden men, you know, they have deeper voices and beards and muscles and taller generally and uh, bigger lungs and bigger, you know, longer arm span, everything. So there's like a 6,000 variables in human biology that distinguish between males and females. And a lot of it is, you know, driven by testosterone, but it's also the Y chromosome in the, in the body. And so because of these differences, um, you know, males have uh, a 10 to 50% advantage. Now it varies with the sport. So 
sports like it running that involve running and jumping, like in track and field, running and jumping, there maybe is like a 10 to 12 advantage that males have over women. But if you go into upper body things like weightlifting, boxing, um, weightlifting, men are can be up to if you look at the heavyweight divisions of both males and females, the men are lifting almost 50 percent more. And then when you combine forces of all the joints, like in a boxing, men have 160% stronger punch. Because like as you, as you add up all these advantages in a, in a movement where you step and punch, then there, it magnifies each of these differences together collectively. And then you have this massive, massive advantage. So um, depending on the sport, okay, and then you have sports like equestrian where men and women aren't distinguished because it's the horse doing the performance not the human being riding on it. So, you know, every sport has a little bit different situation where there's an advantage, a relative advantage. Uh, but, you know, in most sports where the human body is doing the execution of the skill, um, men will have an advantage. And what, what is being assumed in this whole movement and started about 20 years ago at the Olympic level, which we didn't know about as women, we didn't know we were being thrown under the bus. It was all being done secretly. Um, but the trans movement and ideology, gender ideology was starting to seep in and they were saying, well, since these changes to men's bodies happens by testosterone, if we just remove a testosterone, like, let's say we make men lower their testosterone level, that should take care of all the differences. The problem is the horse has already left the barn, so to speak, like the, the body is already bigger. What are you going to do? Cut two inches off a longer arm? Like, I, I don't know. You've, you know, just because you change a chemical composition within a body temporarily or even over a year, which was the rule uh, that the IOC finally arrived at in 2015, just because a man lowers his testosterone for a year, and how do you prove that anyway? Like, are you going to follow him 24-7? Um, even if he does that, um, it's not going to take away all of the structural and physiological differences that built up over that whole lifetime with the Y chromosome and the testosterone. So the idea that they could just somehow have a quick fix to allow a man to self-identify into women's sports is just on its face so utterly ridiculous that to this day, the women and I in sport who are fighting this fight, we're just gobsmacked that how could anybody in their right mind sitting in a committee meeting even think that this was gonna be the solution? I mean, for those who are just joining us, what a group of people want here is, if I'm getting you correctly, is if a man just feels like he's a woman, he is now allowed yep. to enter women's sports and compete mm -hmm. and win. Yep. So, yep. And that's, that's just, an, and in Canada, they want it to be without mitigation, like in the Olympic level, international levels, there's all these things. Initially in 2003, they actually had had the surgery to remove the, the, the sex organs. So it had to be a transsexual, so surgery. Mm -hmm. Then from 2003 to 2015, there were people who were complaining about that. So then they said, well, okay, 2015, oh, you don't have to have the surgery. Just reduce your testosterone for a year. That should do it. And by the way, the level that they made the men come down, like the testosterone level, it's still way above what the females are allowed to have, even at that. So even if you men start here, they take down their testosterone level, it's still way above the female level. So it's still cheating, even if they bring it down. And so 
it and, and these this is like where we as like when I was on a national team and I was Canadian champion in heptathlon in the 80s. When I was on the team and I would go on international meets and I'd get the P test, like to look at our drugs and for look for drugs or whatever, and then do a cheek swab to make sure I was female. Um, you know, like they did so much, made so much effort to try to catch anybody getting even just a drop of too much testosterone or some other hormone. Right. And yet these guys are supposed to somehow be allowed to just come on in and without proving anything. But the thing is, but sport isn't about social affirmation. It's just about competition. It's about competition of bodies with bodies. Um, nobody says that we don't have to be kind to people. We spent a year in sport working on no bullying policies, for example. So why don't we just say, if you're a man who identifies and now wants to be called a woman, show up to a race in a dress or with like woman type clothing and have makeup and long hair. Why can't you be in the men's um, category and just be not bullied? Like why, why, why do you have to go to the women's and then essentially bully the women in a sense? So what I'm hearing you say is it's really unfair to women, but it doesn't seem to have much as much an effect on the men if women want to go compete in men's. Absolutely. Well, this is the point. It's, an, it's uh, unbalanced in terms of who has the competitive advantage. So you have category A, which is the males, and category B, females. The, going from B to A does not bring you an advantage, but going from A to B really does. So we have very, and this is a solution I proposed at the Athletics Canada meeting, a very simple solution also being written up by the scientists uh, that were uh, commissioned by the McDonnell Laurier Institute in Canada to do a paper last fall that was released last November. Um, and basically, 100% inclusion can be achieved fairly if you have a binary system like we have, keep the female division strictly female, and then change the male to open so it can be anybody. So a female coming into the men, or a man who wants to transition to a woman, or male, like they can all participate in the open. So there's an open, and then the female restricted, perfectly fair. And when I propose this in the room, um, the only thing is the trans advocate in the room had no argument with it except to say, well, that just wouldn't affirm transgender people. You shouldn't have that dual system like that. Open, open doesn't give them the label they want. Well, if it's just about labeling, like, you know, the, the thing that doesn't make any sense is the people who are in this category B, the women's or whatever category women, yeah, girls, females. When they transition to want to be men, they stay in the women's category. So they're already competing in the women's category as trans. So we're not being anti-trans. We're literally protecting the transgender athletes who actually are female born and who want to stay and compete so that they have a chance to win. Because they know these kinds of trans know if they go the other way, they'll never win. So, so what happens is in Canada, what we really see this in Canada. We have transgender men, which are female wanting to go to men. So a female person wanting to go to, to become a man stays in the female division. But the male athlete who wants to transition to woman also goes into the. So essentially what we're treating the women's category as the open. And the male as only male. So it's exactly the opposite of what it would be if you wanted a fair system. We should have 
strictly female. And it doesn't matter if you're trans, as long as you're born female, like um, Rebecca Quinn on the Canadian soccer team says she's non-binary. They were born female, but now they are now competing still as a female on a female team in a female sport. Who has a problem with that? Nobody has a problem with that. It's only if you're male and you want to do the other way. And if we let all the men, males who are born and want to be trans women come into women's sport, people who are nine female born, but non-binary and trans on the female side would never win again. So it's actually not even about trans. It's just about fairness and about biology-based, sex-based boundaries. When you look at sports, okay, so like I'm, I'm not knowledgeable on this, but I know we've got, I mean, school sports, college sports, we've got professional yeah. sports like hockey, mm -hmm. football, and then we've got the Olympics. Like, yeah. has this already passed in countries of the world or in areas of Canada? Like, what's kind of happening? And what do you say about that? Not only is it unfair for female athletes, but it's also the officials. So whatever sport is involved, and this is going to be a transition to talking about rugby, because in track and field, we have different um, levels, like provincial level, community level, national. And so what the national governing body was kind of saying is our international level has a certain trans policy, but we want our domestic trans to be more inclusive. And so basically pushing it down to the community saying, well, it doesn't matter if little girls are disenfranchised. We just, we'll just make sure the rule is okay up here. But that's a problem for officials. The officials um, would say that's unfair and they would be trying to apply the international standard because you, when you're a, an official in a sport, you're being trained on the international level. So if suddenly the rule is changing at the ground, the officials will start being accused of hate for simply doing their job. If we lose our officials, we lose our volunteers. We don't even have the capacity to host competitions, which is the what I pointed out in the book is partly why it would destroy sport for both boys and girls. Because if you don't get enough officials because they're so confused and afraid, they won't be coming in to officiate our sports. And then that's what happened in rugby. In world rugby, um, the reason world rugby was had was forced to confront this issue two years ago is uh, i didn't know this myself until it, it came to be but when i started reading about what's going on in world rugby uh in a rugby match the official himself on the on the field can be held liable for an injury so when if there is a male athlete coming in against females and the chance of head or neck injury goes up 30 percent, which is what they discovered or more than that the official on the field on that day could have could be held liable for the injury to the woman if a male athlete's pounding them, right? So this became something that is, of course, a liability. And of course, World Rugby had to deal with it. So World Rugby was the only international sport organization that actually did the right thing. They actually brought scientists to the table, all the trans activists, all the women, everybody was in the room. They had like about a week where they were going over all the data, maybe two days, not a week. But anyway, this was just before lockdown in 2020. They had this massive conference where all the data was brought to the table. And it was absolutely clear that women's rugby should be strictly delimited to the female athlete because otherwise you're gonna have people getting seriously injured and the sport couldn't handle the litigation. And so world rugby said, no, nope. uh, for international women's rugby, it has to be female only and then men. However, they, they gave the dog a bone. They said, well, but 
domestically you can do what you want. So it was like, oh, so then the individual rugby unions like on Australia and Canada, world and USA and England, all of these were so afraid of the trans uh, rights activists that they basically said, well, we're going to ignore our national governing or our international sport governing body. And we're just going to say self ID is okay on the field for now. And so, um, but what's been happening is, of course, slowly but surely, they're realizing the ones on the ground are starting to realize, no, the world governing body really does have a good point. And then it, that leads to the International Olympic Committee, because the Olympic, since world rugby did that, and rugby is one of the Olympic sports of all of the different Olympic sports, because world rugby made that change, it kind of shamed the IOC into having to change something about their approach to this. And so what they did now in 2021, let's six months ago, was um, basically say they, IOC kind of changed their policy. They threw up their hands and said, well, we'll just leave it up to each individual sport governing body in the world to determine their own trans policy. But it, it, it's such a cowardly thing to do because- It's copping out. Yeah. So they're, everybody's copping out. And, and, I, and I think you'll notice when this whole thing went down, we haven't talked about it yet, but in the NCAA with Leah Thomas, the swimmer who was male for three years in college and then swam as a woman this last year in the NCAA swimming, um, when people were complaining to the NCAA, they then said, oh, we'll just let Swim USA decide what should be. So they, there's always these big you know, governing bodies that should have authority and and integrity and like we are seeing in so many areas of society these days it almost seems like this upper class does not have the ability or the integrity or character to make a right decision courage they're always punting these things down to the ground level always i i can't imagine like i can't imagine girls looking forward to sports are even like, are you like, Hey, you have been in coaching and sports all your life. Like are women quitting? Are they giving up? Are they saying, forget this? Yes. And in fact, in the, in the realms, in the countries like Australia is completely even as bad or worse than Canada. And now they're tracking and it might've been, uh, you know, there is a little bit of a, a thing that conflicted with COVID because during COVID, a lot of kids couldn't do sports. So, so, but they've noticed this massive Australia, New Zealand, massive drop off in girls going into sports and massive already. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was already noticed even in, in the Canadian women in sport organization here in Canada, that there is a big drop off in the teen years already. And they have tried different sort of, programs and methods to increase women's participation in sport. But then Leon, Canadian women in sport turn around and they support the stupid agency thing, this Canadian center of ethics and sport, which is pushing the trans agenda. Then Canadian women in sport, the one group that should be protecting the female athlete, turn around and say, no, you should be able to compete on the basis of your gender identity. So the one group in Canada that's getting federal funding to protect female sport is now completely, completely taken by the trans agenda. You know, in a in a in a democratic country with freedom, mm-hmm. you'd think and rights. We're talking about one group, the trans group, 
their right. But what about women's rights and freedoms? You'd think that would really rise up here, but they're not. Well, the women, so it's interesting because you talk, then that leads me into the talk about feminism because as an athlete and a coach and, and much earlier in my life, I had nothing much to do with it. I mean, I just felt like, well, I'm a female athlete and I do sports and I'm a coach. I mean, what does feminism have to do with me? And then, you know, and then I was actually given a, a contract by World Athletics in the 90s to go into Muslim countries, like put on my veil and go in there and teach women how to coach the girls. And, and that was kind of like a kick in the butt, so to speak. But it was really proved to me that in some instances, obviously, there are you have to have a purposeful policy that does help women. Otherwise women are nowhere. So I kind of thought, okay, yeah, I get it now a little bit. And then when I came into this debate, 50% of feminists are actually trans inclusive uh, advocates. Um, so those are the liberal feminists. And then the, the more fundament, fundamental what they call themselves radical feminists, but the foundational feminists are saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> women is a sex-based category. We are, we demand sex-based rights. So what we find in this debate, Leon, it's not just men doing this to women. It's a lot of women out there who are telling female athletes, the, the, the lib femme women, telling female athletes, you just should be kind. Don't object if this poor individual who happens to be male wants to be calling um, themselves a woman, just be kind. So basically, women are supposed to somehow, and the very feminists who would have fought against to have like the stereotype that women should be nice and kind and, and let others walk all over you, these are the same women now telling us to just be shut up and don't object. And a lot of the women in Canadian law, like in the Canadian parliament, and even somebody like Michelle Rempel, like when it came to Bill C-16, they were all in favor of this. They didn't even think that maybe this would result in um, men and women's sports or worse yet, in my opinion, violent male offenders, rapists being put in female prisons with in the prison cells with women. And this has been happening again since 2014 in Canada. And people don't even know this. They're putting and men just, in women's prisons? Yes, they're putting male rapists. If he's if a male rapist says I identify as a woman, they get transferred to a women's prison. I did not know that. And they're raping women in these prisons. And you know what the response is? Oh, instead of taking this guy out and putting in a separate wing, maybe they're going to get beat up if they're, you know, a female-looking man in a men's prisons. We'll deal with it over the men's prison side. But if you're going to put that in a women's prison, so what they do? Oh, they just give the, the women's prisoners morning after pill and all these things that will just help them if this man happens to assault them, if, you, if the trans woman. So anybody, because Justin Trudeau's government has said, well, just accommodate them. If they had, uh, identify as a, as a woman, just accommodate them. And so what, what male prisoner wouldn't identify as a woman to get off a little bit easier? You know... Leaders, governing bodies, it doesn't matter what kind of leaders in coaching, politics, you name it, like leaders are supposed to have wisdom and they're supposed to have courage. They're there right. to lead. And so they're, they're, they're either making decisions from wisdom and courage or fear. Fear. So clearly, 
Sure. Totally so fear. is it is it this cancel culture that everybody is so afraid yeah. of if they don't? Tell me about yeah. it. You're, you're yeah. seeing it? So, I mean, we see this all the time in sports. If the women say anything in, let's, let's say, the top women, immediately the, the uh, sponsors will take away their funding. Um, they're afraid because then if, if a trans activist points out this, you know, I don't know, so-and-so product is sp- sponsoring this woman who has made this transphobic statement, then she won't get funding anymore. I mean, athletes are poor enough as it is. And then, you know, only the very richest athletes get these multi-million dollar contracts. Most athletes are eating craft dinner. And if you happen to have one con one sponsor, that's really going to help you. And then the trans activists know this immediately. They'll just go to the sponsorship people and say, don't sponsor, don't fund that athlete. And there have been so many instances of that. And then, so, so the, intimidation and i think you know our political leaders they swim in the same social soup in the waters they're they're afraid of getting canceled on twitter or whatever and it's interesting that if you're on the left as a political leader and you've actually gone along with this for a while the moment you actually step away and say well let's wait a minute let's have another look at this this might not be fair Oh man, those people get canceled way harder than somebody like me who's been just saying things that I believe from the beginning. I don't get that much hate now. Everybody knows what to expect. I wrote a book about it. I've been saying this on Twitter for four years. Um, But people who've actually kind of been on the side of woke and then they start pulling it back a little bit just to be fair, they get hammered. That's exactly what happened with J.K. Rowling. Yeah. The, so my last question, man, our time went by so quickly. The book you've put together here, Unsporting, if people are watching today and they're, they've got to make decisions in schools, uh, universities, wherever officials are or parents who want to weigh yeah. in, this will give them all the information they need. Is that what yeah. the book is doing? That should, you've gathered well, a lot. Well, it should also help them. I think the thing that the book does is it gets you an understanding of where this came from in sport and what possible solutions are out there. And I would say, and I've added another possible solution uh, legislatively Um, in the UK and Britain, when they brought in the gender recognition act and the equality law, which said you can't discriminate on the basis of gender identity, that what came along with that law, Leon was exemptions, sex-based exemptions. So there were certain things in life, where Britons are allowed to have an exemption, like in sports, maybe in prisons, like things like that. So when they brought in Bill C-16, they forgot to bring with Bill C-16 the exemptions for for people like sex-based areas of life. We must add sex-based exemptions. Otherwise, you're going to completely ruin society. Yeah, and listening to you talk, basically, sports period, especially for the women, is Mm -hmm. just going to be destroyed. It would be. Yeah. If we keep going down this path, it will be because eventually, like, why would I coach a girl if I know that I'm going to put years of work into a girl? Um, I'm not saying it wouldn't, but I mean, I would have to think twice that I would coach a young woman knowing that when she gets the Olympic Games or national championship, she's going to be in a race against all the men. Like, what would be the point of that? Right. Wow. Well, I'm encouraging, you know, those out there who are having to make decisions on this to add this to the, to their reading list, unsporting. And, uh, I want to thank you so much. Thank you.
uh, Coach Blade for being with me, and you have just <laughs> raised a whole lot of stuff and so much I didn't know, and I'm going to yeah. read the book. I haven't had a chance yet, but I'm Thank going you. to. Thank you so much. It's been a joy talking to you. Thanks, Liam. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv.